Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Power Podcast. Can you already feel the smile behind this microphone right now? I'm with two of my favorite women, friends, colleagues, mentors, the two women leaders in my life that have inspired me so much. And we are starting off Black History Month and Women's History Month, both February and March with these two leaders. And I am so excited for them to share their stories and give everyone insight and awareness. And they're so impactful. They have been in my life. Uh, I feel like I owe so much of my success to both of them. Uh, and it's very hard before I, you hear them speak, but this was really hard for me to bring them both on the same time because they have incredible stories uh, and we could be here for hours. So we're going to condense this and, um, and they're gonna, you're going to feel it. And when, we're, when three of us are together, you will feel it through here. But when we are, we have worked together in the past and we're going to get, we're going to get into that. And we've done some incredible things, us three together that we're going to share too. Uh, and it's, and I miss them and we're not together anymore, but right now being in the room and just feeling the love, I hope you feel it too. I have Melissa Cedeno here and I have Shatara waiters here and I'm so excited to introduce them and for them to just give you all the love and knowledge. Hi, my loves. Hi, Brittany. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. So weird hearing you say how much we inspire you because you inspire us so much. Um, I think that when you asked us to come, it was like a no-brainer. I'm coming to Albany. I want to see you guys in person. So um, a little bit about me. My name is Shatara. I am a social worker by trade. I've been a social worker for a while now, over 15 years. Um, What I do in my day job is I'm the Senior Director of Adolescent Services in the School-Based Health Program down in New York City. So I oversee multiple school-based health centers throughout the city, the Bronx and and Queens. And we really work to end healthcare inequity from the school setting. So we go into the schools and we do a lot of work um, with medical care, mental health, and dentistry, actually. So we have a number of dental sites within our school-based health centers. And um, I also oversee the adolescent program that works with youth through a um, comprehensive adolescent pregnancy prevention program, which is state-funded. So we do a lot of work around helping young people understand the risks associated with, you know, risky behavior, having sex, um, and we introduce them to a healthy lifestyle, right? Like, how do you work with um, young people and help them understand that having sex is a natural, natural part of your development, but also helping them understand, like, how to prevent early teen pregnancy and how to have healthy relationships. So that's the majority of what I do on a day-to-day basis. Before, sorry guys, we're also going to say that we're passing around the mic today because (laughs) there is still construction going on here, but also I really want you to fully hear what everyone is saying. But this is going to be hard for us because us three will just jump in and I I can see your face over here. It's really hard for you right now. (laughs) So now I'm going to introduce Melissa uh, and then after, please tell us about how you got to where you are in your story. So Melissa Sedanio, everyone. Hey, Britt. Hey, Chitara. Yes, I was looking at you because I wanted to grab the mic from Chitara before she even finished to say that she did not mention that she's an incredible mother of three beautiful children. She's a bonus daughter to me. And though we've inspired each other, I can't say that um, I can't underscore enough how much I've been through in my life as a 50 year old woman that she's been able to be a part of whether it was the passing of my late husband seven years ago, she was part of one of the people on the small team that orchestrated everything, whether it was opening up the first all-girls charter school in Albany, New York, that we all did together, she's always been there by my side. So that's what she failed to say when she introduced herself. I could talk a little bit more about her, but again, Melissa Cedeno, I am a proud mother, soon to be a beautiful glamour. My son, Elijah, is uh, married and he's going to have a daughter very soon. And so I'm so grateful for that phase in my life. But during my day job, I am the director of the Educational Opportunity Program 
at the University at Albany. It's a college access program for students who have been historically denied access to college, who are academically and economically disadvantaged. And so it's a program that I graduated from in 1994 after entering the university as a pregnant mom. Uh, It empowered me, it equipped me to be a successful leader later on in life, and now I have the dream job of being able to provide this same opportunity to students who look just like me from across New York State, and so it's an amazing job. I love it, and we're going to talk more about what we do to change the world. So interestingly enough, the EOP program is how I met Melissa. She was my writing teacher my um, in EOP summer. So those of you who are out there who are EOP students, you know what that summer is like. <laughs> so uh, can you just, are you already feeling it right now? Because I am. I, I'm so excited. So we're going to go get deeper now. Um, tell us, I mean, more so, just a little bit about your background, where you're from, how you got here, and uh, you're both mothers. So we have mom, this is a mom boss table right here, but let's get, let's get deeper. Chi-Chi, go ahead. I love that, mom boss. Um, so I was born in a little town in Florida, <laughs> Brinkton, Florida, and, you know, spent the majority of my childhood in Florida. I think I moved to New York around nine years old. Then spent most of my childhood in New York City, went to New York City Public Schools, which is a feat within itself. Um, Anybody who knows about the DOE system down in the city, especially when I was going to school. And then, you know, later on, you know, went to school, worked, started work at a young age. And there was one person in my life that was like, hey, are you going to go to college? And I was like, college? No. <laughs> you know, that wasn't something that was, a, you know, a conversation that we had in, in my home. Like, no one in my family had yet went to college. I'm the first college graduate in my family. Not only my immediate family, like my distant family, my cousins, my aunts, uncles, things like that. So I got I got connected with a program down in New York City and, you know, shout out to them, Options. And we, um, they really helped me with the college access part and connecting with schools. I really thought I wanted to go to an, an HBCU, which I would have loved to, but I didn't get the financial, the I didn't get the financial aid packages that I need to go there. So I wind up going to U Albany, moved up to Albany. Actually, my friends moved me up to Albany. No parents came with me, nothing like that. It was, it was, the first day of my new life, right? So I came here. EOP summer, did the summer, you know, went to UAlbany, and it was amazing. I did graduate school at UAlbany, lived at UAlbany, uh, lived in Albany um, when we started the high school and worked here until I moved back down to the city. So that's a little bit about, like, my background. I think one of the reasons why I got into social work is because I knew I wanted to help people, but I wasn't ready to be, like, a doctor. I thought I wanted to be a doctor or a pediatrician, and I couldn't, I couldn't do the math. It was real hard. <laughs> I couldn't do the math. I didn't want to do the math. But um, so, you know, I went to, we finished, I finished my time in Albany on a very, very strong note, I felt like. And then when, uh, when we were at the, we'll talk a little bit about this later, but when we were at the high school and we all experienced the challenges, the good, the bad, and the ugly at the high school, I felt like it was my time to go when Melissa left. I think I stayed there a year after you left, but it was my time to go, and I wanted to go back down to the city, be with my family, and start a new life there. So I was born and raised in Brooklyn, East New York more specifically, uh, and I think if I want to share anything about my story is that I too, similar to Chitara, went through the New York City DOE schools and I realized when I graduated that I was ill-prepared, ill-prepared to, one, be successful in college and ill-prepared to deal with the trauma of my past. Having been a little girl who was molested by cousins, I didn't experience any healing from that. I was just going, going, going. And so when I entered college as a freshman, a pregnant freshman at that, I wasn't ready for what college demanded of me. But as a result of the EOP program, I was 
given access to resources, given access to an incredible counselor, given access to other people like me, where we formed a community and managed to succeed in college. And so that's the biggest part of my story. And then I went on to be a teacher, an English teacher, as Chatara stated. I was a writing teacher. So I am formally trained as an educator. And so I taught for years in New York City and upstate New York before I opened up any schools or took on the leadership role as a charter school principal, a public charter school principal, because those are public schools also. Okay, that was a very condensed version of their stories. That's pretty impressive that you're able to do that. So um, let's talk about how we met and the impact it has made on Albany today. Uh, So this is what happened. I was in Philadelphia and I was at a point where like uh, there's no sports jobs that I want here and I think I believe my father was the one who connected us because you you were Dia was working with you with Melissa at the time at Brighter Choice Charter School and um, we're and there's an opportunity there's going to be the first all girls charter high school in New York State that's going to be built and would you like to be part of this incredible opportunity sign me up especially when it comes to Melissa so and then that's when I was introduced to Shatara so. All three of us, you Albany grads, alumni, I know, go great days, hello. (laughs) And uh, let's get started about some Albany leadership um, memories, stories, and what we got ourselves into. So we didn't really even talk before we pressed record on here. And when uh, us three haven't been together uh, in years, right? So my first... Uh, reflection before before us getting together was how did we do that we how did Melissa like how what was your vision and mindset when you were presented with this opportunity because when so that's question one we can just go on about this Uh, there was so much to be done to with this uh with the school, but also with Albany and with our young women, because we had a mission to, to, to bring leaders into the school, to create leaders, build leaders, and then get them to college. So Melissa start, and then we're going we're to get some, let's get some funny things in here too, because, but this was an incredible journey, which prepared me to build this gym. I, I ultimately feel that deep in my soul and my heart that if I didn't have the experience at Albany Leadership of building that school, yeah, I wouldn't have not been able to overcome the hardships I was dealing with at that time too, when I was a single parent and, and then starting up a gym in my mom's backyard. So I owe it to Melissa to be able to work with Shatara every day in and day out. So go ahead, babe. One of our mottos uh, or key motto that we had for our school was one leader changes everything. And I was smart enough back then to know that I couldn't do anything without a tribe, right? And now I'm naming it a tribe. I don't know what I named it back then, (laughs) but right now, uh, as I think about it, I was smart enough to hire people that were smarter than me. I'm not coming down on myself, you have to be smart enough to be able to hire people that are smarter than you. And so what I did know for sure was that people like Brittany and Chitara never gave up. They would work hard to accomplish anything on behalf of young people, particularly the women that we served. Didn't matter the race, religion, didn't matter. We were there to empower young women to give them a picture of what their future could look like if they graduated from high school and went through college. We knew that enough. We were like living testimonies of folks who've been through some hard times and graduated through college. And so we wanted to give that to any young woman who passed through our doors. And we knew that there were certain rules that existed in New York State. There were certain things that they needed to uh, understand culturally in order to be successful. And so 
we got together. We did whatever we could in order to create schedules without a database, um, in order to prepare girls for their first uh, game who were not um, experienced formally with sports. I mean, there was one New Year's Eve that we didn't spend it in a bar or dancing. We spent it in a room with our shoes off creating a schedule <laughs> because we knew our girls had to pass the regions and they needed certain courses. And so we were relentless. We ordered food. We spent time. And that was just one night that I could remember that we spent in order to create systems that weren't there. And a part of the reason why they weren't there is because our state, particularly the city of Albany, created a lot of charter schools, but they didn't have an infrastructure to, to help young leaders lead effectively. And so we did everything from scratch. Everything. Everything. Let's talk about Everything. let's talk about doing things from scratch, Chatara. I mean, like, we really did not know. I, I, I can't speak for Melissa. She had a lot more experience than us. But Brittany and I really did not know what, what we were doing, what we were getting ourselves into. I think Melissa hired me in Subway. She said, what are you I doing? Recruited you. <laughs> she recruited me. She recruited me in Subway. She recruited me in Subway and was, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Um, I, I need someone to run an after-school program. I need a tutor. That's what she said. I need a tutor. And <laughs> I came to work to tutor, and I think, like, a week later, I was coordinating and directing the program. <laughs> like, 40 or 20-something eighth graders who were going to recruit to our uh, new school that coming fall. And I think, like, back to the original question of kind of, like, what, what made us um, take on this crazy life is I was given an opportunity to not have to tell the narrative of like I was a young black girl from the Bronx who had a who had an alcoholic parent or a father that wasn't there or we lived on food stamps, whatever that story could have been, I was given an opportunity to change that. So when you when we look back, I remember like I, I think like most of everything that I am successful in, I think about those 13 girls, that first cohort of students that we really, I did not want to fail them. So I was like, what am I going to do? Go out on New Year's Eve? Or are we going to sit here and make sure that they have a new schedule coming in? Because this is not their fault. This is not... Their, their parents are entrusting us with their future, a future that's very delicate already because we all know that they come with trauma that they don't even talk about, that we don't, that we have no idea what they're, what they're dealing with. So I'm looking at them, I'm, I'm like 22 years old maybe. I think 22 or 23 years old. I, I don't really know what my life has. You were 22, 23 years old, but in a 30-year-old at that time mindset. Probably. <laughs> And I think I think it, it is looking at those young people and saying, like, I really want you to experience this opportunity to change your narrative. You don't have to be a young person from the city of Albany that is not even given an opportunity to have a positive future. So I, I, I think that's why we work so hard, you know, like um, Brittany with the background of the athletics and me really just understanding their story. I was that I was that young person. I was that young girl that had no future that had like I couldn't see a future for me. Someone had to paint it for me and show me that opportunity. So now even now, 30, 37 years old, right, I'm looking back to then and thinking like, wow, somebody really believed in me enough to say, like, I want you to have this opportunity. You're smart enough to take on these positions. You are resilient. You can do this. You can handle it. And like Melissa said um, when she first started talking about building a community, building a tribe, that is so important. Even now, like in terms of being a leader, any leadership position I take on, I always take those skills that we learned at Albany Leadership. Your team is the most important to you. And we always talked about time in and time out when we were like at Albany Leadership. If you want to build a true team, if you want to if you want to work with students and make them better, you can't put people in time out before you put time in with them. And Melissa always put time into us. She was hard. She was hard. She was hard. I mean, you, you can't run late. <laughs> Melissa. 
right? No, Melissa was hard. Like, um, you got to start your meetings on time. You got to end them on time. You got to be respectful of people's time. You better reread your emails. Do not send an email with grammatical errors. You know, like it was it was a tough time, right? Um, but we we learned so much, and I think I'm very grateful for that opportunity and to see now how that transcended to all those girls, those 13 girls in that first graduating class. Amazing. Amazing. Like whatever they're doing, shout out to them. And I see and I'm, I'm, you know, like social media allows us to stay connected with a bunch of them. They're amazing young women. And I, I, I want to thank them, honestly, for giving us the opportunity to be a part of their lives. And I don't know if they trusted us the whole time. because was, There was definitely some times I remember some of the students like, do y'all even know what you're doing? And we would have to tell them like, no, but you're going to help us figure this out. Like, give us the feedback, help us become better. And they really did. They did. They really, really did. They really did. And they're showing up now as grown women. I think like, they're like 25, 26 now in their careers with families, you know, making a difference, becoming entrepreneurs. They're doing great. And I don't, they don't owe that to us. You know, they really don't. They don't owe us anything. I think for us, I look at them and say, like, wow. You, you continue to inspire me to change the lives of young people. I never changed my working field because I love that opportunity. So, yeah. you know, all the leadership. That was... What was one of your favorite memories? <laughs> Just give me two or three. From a teaching... My favorite memories of Albany leadership is um, whether college field trips... Mm-hmm. Um, bringing them the overnight. I think, uh, yeah, it was it was definitely the college field trips, like bringing them to different HBCUs, allowing them the process to choose the schools they wanted to go to, taking to, taking them to those fancy restaurants, and just hanging out with them, being with them on the bus. Like we had some really really good memories. Um, you know, we got into some trouble at one of those college trips, but we're not gonna talk about that. Um, beginning of Instagram times. Uh, so it was, it was, it was, it was, it was the college trips. It was the access. It was allowing them to have that opportunity where people can't afford to take their kids on college trips overnight and do that kind of stuff. So I was really grateful that they got to experience that. That's something that I didn't get to do. So I was happy that we were able to do that. I think my one of my favorite things about Albany leadership from the beginning to the end was how we built the counseling program. Um, I think through the America Vistas, um, the guidance counselors, the social work team, when I started at Albany Leadership, there was no plan of having a guidance counselor. That made no sense. It's <laughs> like, who's the guidance counselor? I'm a social worker. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, Brent Shatara, go ahead. Yep, Brent and Shatara, you guys got this. You can handle it. So I think leaving that behind really meant a lot to me at that young age and leadership. I learned so much from the people that I was supervising. Uh, I became a better person because of those opportunities uh, to hire people and help them grow. And also, they weren't shy about giving us feedback. I think that that was the greatest thing about Auburn Leadership. We always had conversations with the with the staff to tell us, like, this isn't working. What can we do different? And, um, you know, that that was... That was my greatest accomplishment, leaving there. And, you know, Melissa used to go out on walks with her staff. That was very special because I got to see a leader in a vulnerable place with staff who needed that. It was very hard. And I think about, I I have so much respect for teachers and educators from working at Albany Leadership because I saw how much those people were giving every single day to make sure that those girls were educated mm-hmm. and they went above and beyond they also made sure that they felt loved that they felt seen and that's hard emotionally they come with their own things they have their own families and Melissa would take them out on a walk during their prep and that that helps me now because I can stay human with the people that I'm leading right with my teams and sometimes we get caught up in titles. We get caught up in, like, what are you supposed to do as a leader? What are you supposed to do when you start making this much money or you have this role? And But that experience, that Omni Leadership, helps me remember that people need you to be human with them. 
it's a very, very, very necessary that they know that you're a person too and that they can talk to you and they could touch you and, you know. It's that vulnerability. Yeah, it's that vulnerability. It was very difficult for me because I felt like I was more the minority for the first time. And how to, and I was still very young. I was 26, 27 years old. And I, I was like, okay, Melissa gave me this opportunity. She trusted me. So how can I connect with them? How can I connect with the students and these young women? They don't know about my life either. I've had some difficult obstacles that I had to overcome that, can, that I could relate to them. But it had to come with time and being vulnerable. And I was so grateful when we had the college-bound uh, the meetings with the little cohorts. It, that was the second year. Um, and it was, it was difficult because I felt like I was really judged especially the first year and and uh minus all the titles and who I was or what I can do for them it was more for me about giving them soft skills that they didn't know they had and and could really acquire there and learn how to become a young mature woman in this crazy life the society is happening you know so uh I'll never forget, you know, I think there's that one point where you're like, oh, you know, run, run PE class. And I'm like, okay, we'll do dance. And they're like, oh, you know, this white girl, she can't dance. I'm like, let's go. And then, you know, it was just little, I just remember like we had so much fun and there was, I I just, I honestly, yes, there were so many experiences where we were like, what were we doing? How do we change? How can we change this? How can we support this person? Hey, Britt, go, go run a math, math go, go help Miss Linden run, run, run a math class. You know, it's like, and I get to see Trisha Linden picking up our kids at daycare now, you know, and like we, the first time we, yeah, shout out to Miss Linden. But it's just, and I am, I, to be on a leadership team that we had, that was, had that goal, that mission, we were, we, that everything went back to that mission and our core values of what we could give the girls and not take things personal. So that was one of the hardest things because I was so, you know, I just, I just felt like, am I strong enough to do this? And that was, I think, every staff's question to themselves. Can I, can I really dig deep uh, and handle this emotionally and mentally? Because it was so much more than, you know, the teacher's job is to educate them, but we had to first connect and find other ways before that education piece with a lot of the a lot of the students was there so shout out I I love seeing that first that first group on social media with how they're doing and uh still having conversations with them like it was such a special experience and then when we talk about the athletics you know the majority of of these young ladies never had any type of discipline or commitment to something consistently every day and and then just the whole like working out you know it was oh gosh I I can't even find a a powerful word for how that felt it was so fulfilling and it was the most challenging experience of my life it really was but it was it, it prepared me for almost everything in life. Yes, I said my business, but I'm talking about personal experiences and how to cope and how to, and, and your reactions. When we talk about that, of like being a leader, like how, when you're giving information and, or when something is traumatically happening with a student, or if there's a fight that breaks out, like what is our reaction? How do we, how do we just communicate that? And, and that was a big adjustment too, of just, wow, that would, that, Little things like that, we developed so much leadership skills. So um, your turn now, the one who ran it all and inspired us all. Again, thinking back about that time, uh, Brittany just mentioned and Chitar alluded to vulnerability, and I didn't know Brene Brown back then. And, And for anyone who knows anything about shame research or vulnerability you know about Brene Brown and she too is a social worker um, who talks about belonging and talks about how people deal with shame and 
I couldn't put a name to it back then because I hadn't been exposed to her, her research. But what I do know is that we were vulnerable with each other as that small little tribe. If we didn't know something, we found it out. And that's one of the things that helped us survive a lot of what was difficult, a lot of what was um, unplanned or not anticipated. And so I believe that those skills that we develop to, to say I'm sorry or I made a mistake or I don't know, that ability to do that in front of young people who we, who we had influence and power over is what helped define us and help build our character to then move on into personal and professional relationships after that chapter in our life was closed. And so something that I want to bring attention to is, um, yeah, I was crazy to hire a bunch of 20-something-year-olds, um, but I believed in them. There was something about them that I was able to identify that said, no, they've got what it takes. And if anyone looks into people like um, Patrick Lencioni, he, he wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And we, we talked about that in our, in our time there, leadership, over eight, ten years ago. Um, but one thing that Patrick Lencioni talks about now is finding folks working genius. And that's one thing that I think I am blessed with, the ability to see the genius in folks and give them opportunities to develop that. And so that's one of the things I think helped us be successful and help us survive unchartered spaces like Albany Leadership Charter High School for Girls. That's actually, I'm glad you said that because that is how I perceive myself too now as a leader, that I find the potential in leaders and bring out their strengths. And my team right now all has a role and they know their roles. And that is something very, it's a unique ability. And uh, no, I appreciate that so much that you were, that you gave Shatar and I, these two little 20 year olds that had no clue what we were doing, but like just, but also, I was able to go to all these HBCUs. That was my first experience. I learned so much history about it, and then I was just so, so amazed by it. And then, and just to see the culture, oh, it was it was so beautiful. And the girls were so happy. Yes, we did have some funny things. I mean, we that was just you trusted us bringing how many girls did we bring? About 15, 20 girls to all the HBCUs down in the DC area. That was so much fun. So I want to, um, the last thing about Omni leadership that I do want to ask Melissa, um, when we talk about being a leader and a minority and double whammy minority woman and woman of color. So how did, how did that impact or make you feel when you had to speak to your bosses was, all white men and white women. I didn't know it at the time that I was at a disadvantage and so was the school because there was no one on the initial board who understood personally or deeply or professionally what it was like to be a student of color in upstate New York. And so... I think now that I look back at it, it caused more harm than good. Though they were well-intentioned, the impact of that level of inexperience or ignorance to the reality of girls of color. We even had a, a, a strong population of Muslim girls. There was not one Muslim board member. Uh, and so it was hard. It was hard because you don't know, or in fact, I didn't know that I had to keep their stories top of mind. What boards want to hear is, what does the data say? How many of them are passing the regions? How many of them are getting um, an advanced regions diploma? No, how many of them have survived 
trauma and are still showing up to school. How many of them are struggling with addiction in their families and still show up at school? How many of them need access to therapy and we didn't even have access to that? And so I think in in thinking about it, as a young school leader, I would have demanded more support. You had high expectations, but little to no support uh, for the school leader or, or the staff. And that's something that we did. We provided high support. And we provided high expectations for the students that we served. Thank you. Do you want to add anything to that? I feel like you do. You're spinning over here. <laughs> I, just, I just think about now, you, when you know better, you do better, right? Um, and I wish we could have offered more therapy, more therapy opportunities. Because at that time, our girls were dealing with a lot. You know, and a lot was unsaid, a lot was said. And I, I just think we, I would have loved to offer them more mental health services at school and help them with whatever. So I think looking back, that's one thing that I think we could have done a better job at from the very beginning. And I wish we, we would have had the opportunity to do so. I hope they do have those opportunities now. That's why I'm so curious how they're doing. So, but uh, just kudos to us, high five to us three for creating a legacy there. And I would just, and just all my gratitude because we have really shaped and impacted so many young women out there. And um, on to the next one, because we could talk about that for a very long time. So that's how us three met. And now I, I, and. Just, <laughs> um, but one of the things I also want to talk about is, you know, being a mother and juggling your, your lives. And we know us three can say firsthand that you have, that we have all been in leadership positions and so many people rely on us. How have you, how have you navigated through that as being a mom boss and, um, yeah, let's go. Let's start that. Who wants to go first? Yeah. Oh God. Uh, that one's tough because though I have a lot of success stories of being a mom boss, uh, I also automatically go to the failures, right? Um, and not creating a balanced life where my children were the priority. And so I'm in a position now to make the space and empower women who are moms to put their children and their families first because I have the ability to do that now. So I don't regret it because now I can see the signs and now I can create an atmosphere where moms who work with me are not afraid to ask for time for appointments for their children or their family because I leave space for them to ask that. Um, But being a mom boss gave me an opportunity to give access to to my son to have a private education, right, To, to be exposed to things he would not have been exposed to if I didn't have the capital to do it. Right. Um, and so that's something I'm, I'm pretty grateful for. He saw a mom work really hard on behalf of others. And when you exist in this world, it's not just for you. It's what you can do to make the world better through your actions, through your attitude, through your words. And I couldn't be more prouder um, of the man and the husband that Elijah has become as a result of seeing me be a mom boss. He saw me be vulnerable. He saw me make mistakes in hiring. He saw me do so much, and I gave him access to my life so that when he made decisions for his family and his life, he learned through, and he was able to filter it through my successes and my failures. So, um, yeah. We love you, Elijah. Interesting. Um, we're at two. De- we're mom boss. I kind of is a 
term that I kind of struggle with, but we're at two different stages of working in these kinds of roles. Uh, my kids are still very young. My oldest is 12, about to be 13, and then I have a, a six and a seven-year-old, and I have a daughter, which is very different, right? Like, when you have a daughter, it, you it's important for you to spend time it's important for you to spend time with your kids, but it's very important for your daughter to see you, to hear you, and to learn from you. And they don't do that unless they can be with you, right? They, you want to you wanna be a leading example to your daughter. So that's very important to me. <clears throat> I, when, I was, when I was at Albany Leadership, I definitely struggled with the balance of being a mom and prioritizing my child. It was definitely hard. A lot of times I spent with Nurse Leary in her um, in the nurse's office pumping uh, so that he can so that he can get his uh, first years of breast milk and that was really important to me to have that space uh, so that he can uh, get his his nutrients um, but fast forward to now being a mom boss what does that mean for me I think the pandemic really changed it because before the pandemic I worked really really hard all around the clock I work from home we all have work cell phones and work emails and you can have a week Day, weekend events, night events, and you sign up for everything. As a leader, you're you're there. You have to show your team that you're going to be there. You're you're with them. You're doing the work. After the pandemic, I learned the importance of spending time with your family, because we spent so much time together, and I really got to know them as individuals, not as my children. I'm learning you as a person. Not I'm not learning you as my kid that I have to care for. I'm learning you as you and who you are. So now, post-pandemic, when we're getting back into the, like, less working from home, more being in the office, and similarly, having people who need to go take care of their kids, I'm really intentional about that. Uh, I, I, I really make sure that people understand when you have something to do for your family, you have to prioritize that. We can talk about it. If you have the time or you don't have the time, let's talk about how we figure it out, how we get coverage, how we make sure that the work still is being done. But do not compromise your family, especially your children, because you're going to work. It's very hard. This idea of work-life balance doesn't exist, especially at this level. You know, Your work impacts your life and your family and your family impacts your work and it's all just kind of mushed into one so there used to be a time when I thought you can turn off work when you get home and not do any of it and you could right you could turn off family when you're at work and separate the two it's really about finding a perfect medium of how to balance them all throughout the day because they both really impact each other right so I cannot not respond to a late night text from a coworker because if there's some urgent information that's needed, I can say, oh no, it's my time to be with my family. But if it's something that can wait, I can, I feel more comfortable and confident now saying, I got your text message. I'll get back to you tomorrow. But if it's something that's urgent, I can say, okay, let's talk about it. And we'll schedule a time that night. If I'm with my family, if I'm doing something with them, so I, I, I'm still trying to figure it out. I think all that to say, I'm still trying to figure it out, especially as my kids become older, right? And they have their own lives and they have their own schedules and they want to do certain things and I have to be there to support them through that. And hopefully I get to a place where I feel comfortable with whatever decision that I'm making every, every day with them in terms of time. But I'm still figuring it out. No, no, you go. Oh, no, 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 no. This is about you. We don't have to talk about my experience. <laughs> I'll probably start crying. <laughs> I, am, I am with you 100% on that. I just said to my business coach the other day, I apologize for not being on consistently on these calls every single week, a group call. I've been I'm I'm struggling right now with my personal life and it, and it's and not being focused and distracting my professional life and I don't have control over sometimes things are happening uh, and saying this to a male was very hard because I don't care what anyone says women just have a different for me my perception my lens women have a different. Uh, 
I don't want to say nurturing or uh, just ability in the workplace for the for balancing this mom mom boss life right so he responded so I'm so grateful for his response with thank you for acknowledging and being aware of that I'm glad you there's that whole thing that you just said is what he responded with your personal life should be affecting your professional life that is what life is all about and how do we how do we just how can we overcome it or can how can I support you through this uh so that was nice and especially when it comes from a man who might get it might not get it I'm not sure you know so um speaking of that how has your experience been, especially since leaving leadership and now you've been having different adventures in the past 10 years, uh, been with navigating a, a woman of color in, 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 when it comes to diversity in the workplace? And, and how have, what, what experience have you had? And has there been any imposter syndrome that you've experienced? So I don't really deal with a lack of diversity in the workplace because I work in New York City and I work in public service, right? I work in um, a fairly qualified health center. So we don't really have a lot of white men in power, right? My CEO is a Puerto Rican woman. Um, She makes it her mission to hire women of color and she's very committed to that. I think navigating the workforce in terms of imposter syndrome, and I, we, we kept saying, we kept making jokes like, we were 20 years old, we didn't know what we were doing. That's not true. We actually did know what we were doing. That's the thing. We knew how to find the answers, and we were very savvy, right? Like, I remember watching you go through that power school book word for word to figure out how to do the schedule on power school. And I'm like, Brittany, no, I can't do that with you. I'm not going to do that. Uh, And I I think that that was something that stuck with me that I want to make sure that we circle back to to say like to young 20 something year old girls that worked, that worked your behind off to get there. When you get there, just understand how much you did and how much you overcame to say like, you know what? I may not know it all now at 20 and you're still not going to know it all at 40 or 50, but you're figuring it out and you deserve to be there. So there is a space there for you. In terms of imposter syndrome, when um, when we were when we were at Albany Leadership, or even when I left Albany Leadership and went to the next charter school, I struggled a lot with how I looked because not only was I younger, I looked young, and I have a right, and I have a young and I have a young spirit, right? Like. I, I prefer to wear jeans and sneakers. I don't want to put on a suit. Like, you know, and I think that now we're starting to, especially down in New York City, we're coming into a culture where it's more accepted to be who you are than to show up how you think you should be. How to, and Melissa was very good at this. And I remember saying to her, how do you just feel so comfortable saying whatever you want to say, however you want to say it, and in a professional way? And, and, you know, she said, I didn't always feel this way. When you get to this point, you realize that you cannot lose yourself. Something along those lines. Right. She put in the work. But you shouldn't have to feel like you, you have to put in the work. You should feel comfortable and hopefully you work at it because it has to be intentional. You have to really work at feeling like you can be who you are and people either have to align with that or they won't and that's okay. Right. Because we have to say very challenging things in the work that we do when we are fighting for equity for people, especially health equity, um, equity in education, equity in access. You have to really speak from your heart. You cannot just look at numbers the way we're looking at region scores. You can't you can't work like that. Right. When we're looking at teen pregnancy rates or um, the amount of young people with STDs and and things like that, I can't talk to you and really I can't sugarcoat what I need to say to you because what I need to say to you is so important and it's so critical that I have to be who I am. I have to speak from what I know and I have to be confident in that. So I think that's that's the navigating part for me that um, I had to gain confidence in and I learned it over time. And um, But it also, on the tangible side of things, you can't just show up arrogant. You really have to do your work. You have to do your research. You have to continue to read. You have to continue to go to conferences. You have to continue to network with people who, like Melissa said, are smarter than you. Do not think that you can just show up and not know your stuff. Because then it's just you're doing yourself a disservice and you're doing the people you serve a disservice. Right? So that's something I've been committed to. Um, And we we all learned that from Melissa. Like, 
this is what you're going to read, read this, reflect on it, use this research to inform the work that you're doing. And that always stayed with me. I want to circle back to the work-life balance, but I'm going to speak to the imposter syndrome. I think women of color and women in general, if they compare themselves to other people, they'll suffer more from the imposter syndrome because they're comparing themselves to women who don't look like them or they're comparing themselves to men and not taking the time, not taking the time to fully accept all their strengths and all their weaknesses and embrace that. Uh, And so that's when I stopped comparing myself to white women who supervise me because the majority of the people who have supervised me have been white women and there's only one who I've stayed in contact with. And it wasn't always easy um, because she was a workaholic who at the age of six was asking the teacher, can you give me work to do instead of going to play? She wasn't normal, but I love her and we're still close to this day. Um, And so that's the curse of comparing yourself to other people is what keeps you stuck in the imposter syndrome and not like embracing that you're uniquely and wonderfully made and that you have a purpose that no other human being has on this earth. And so once I started realizing that, that there's not another Melissa and that I'm going to impact the people who come into my life in a way that they would not have been impacted had I not entered their life or they entered my life. So going back to the work-life balance, I'm learning at this tender age of 50 the power of boundaries, right? And I learned from one of my close friends he was talking about boundaries and, and, and givers and takers. And, and I've talked about givers and takers with you all before, but he said, you know, givers have boundaries, takers don't. Mm-hmm. So if we allow folks in our lives who are taking, they're going to keep on taking because they ain't got no boundaries, right? Uh, and so that helped me think a bit more about who I'm giving access to into my life. So if you think about it on a scale of one to 10, 10 being all the access to my dreams, access to my weaknesses, access to my home and my space. If you've got level 10 access and you only feel level three responsibility to me doing better and being better, that's going to likely end up in a negative consequence for my life. Because I gave you a whole bunch of access, but you don't feel no responsibility in helping me be a better person. That, that has helped me think about the boundaries that I've created in my life and who I give access to and who I don't give access to. And so that's something that has helped with balance. So glad you said that. And you would be very proud because I am reading. It's not about the glass ceiling. It's about the sticky floor. And it's all about, see, she's so excited. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Audible. And I'm reading The Go-Giver. That was just given to me, which I never, did you ever read that one? Oh, so, okay. These two books I'm going to send you. Uh, but with about the, it's about women where it's not about the glass ceiling. It's about seven different uh, I just uh, constraints res- constraints in your life or just within a person that holds you back from reaching higher and getting to that crashing through that glass ceiling so one of them is work-life balance and for me uh, that would be mine and just like what we're talking about it just sounds like but when you brought up boundaries I am so happy you said that because it's hard it's so hard it's you, you know it's just saying no is a complete sentence and uh, they just high-fived <laughs> Abdul used to say that all the time no is a complete sentence and back then I didn't really understand him he had all these sayings but no is a complete sentence no that's it that's it right yeah, yeah. yeah it's hard it's so hard try it guys uh so who has two questions who has inspired you to get to where you are today? And what does success mean to you? 
Hmm. I mean, like Melissa inspired me, right? That's so easy, though. Like, let's let's. Um, you know who inspired me? And I always share this. My great-grandmother really was an inspiration to me. And now as I'm entering a different stage of my life, I realize how the women in my life, although very, very faulty, they also inspire me, like my grandmother, my mother. And when I was at Auburn Leadership, I think that was the toughest time that I had in terms of relationship with my mom. I didn't appreciate or understand the way she treated us as children. And as I'm older and, you know, I've been a mom longer now, I understand that, like, there's no book on parenthood, right? And then, like, we're still really dealing with all of the trauma, generational trauma of whatever happened to your your mother and your grandmother and your great-grandmother and your, and your ancestors. Like, all of that trauma just really transcends down the, the line. So those are the women who inspire me. I think I, I really, I really, my grandma used to say this thing, I will, not, I will not die from work or worry. And I always share that with people um, because my, my, people know the version of, so you know a version, I know a version of my great-grandmother, my grandmother knows a version of her, and my mother knows a version of her. I'm thankful that the version I know of her was loving and committed to her family. And at the time, it was me. She was raising me. I I lived with her for the first part of my life. And she was a very grounded person, right? She was very calm and very loving. Her house was the place to be, right? That's where our family joined. And And I don't know if she ever told me this or it's just been stories that have been passed down to me. Like, I will not die from work or worry. I will not die from work or worry. I will not. So, like, when I get to a place where work is very overwhelming, there has to be something done. And go to another country. I go to I go to another country, right? Um, and and really, so I, I will go to another country. And this year, I took my first solo trip to a to to Saint Martin and Anguilla by myself. And anybody listen to this, do it. If you're scared, jump, jump scared. You have to visit a place by yourself for several days and no one will be talking to you and you will talk to strangers more and you'll just have so much appreciation for the clarity that you're going to have. So, um, yeah, so the women in my life, my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother especially, God bless her. And I'm thankful that my grandmother's still alive, my mother's still alive, and my grandmother's a woman who she is who she is. That's She doesn't care. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I know a lot of people don't cannot say that they they know their they know their their mother they know their grandmother they know their great grandmother I was very blessed to have all those very powerful black women in my life and I appreciate them now more than ever because when I was younger I didn't we had our we had our trials and I didn't so I would say that they inspired me mm-hmm. and what is success success to you um I don't think I've reached success yet. Success will be like freedom, <laughs> like freedom to do more of what I really want to do uh, financially and sort of like in my soul. You know, like uh, I have a company, an ecotherapy company, and um, that's really, really what I'm drawn to do, like connecting people through nature so that they can improve their mental health. And that can be as simple as traveling and hiking or as complicated as backpacking for multiple days in a foreign country, whatever you consider to be tree hugging, grounding yourself, doing yoga outside. Um, I'm really committed to that. So I think what success will look like to me is when I, I, I have the choice to do whatever I want to do every single day. It's not about a certain amount of money or a job title or, you know, like I have to experience this really um, amazing you know, professional growth. I don't, before that's what I thought. I, I, we, we live in a very achievement-based culture, but now what success would be for me is to be able to do whatever I want, whenever I want to do it, and still being, being able to serve people at the same time. Hmm. Folks who inspired me, uh, or the women who inspired me in particular, uh, I could start Oh, I do want to start with my grandmother who was 99 years old when she passed away and she lived on her own, didn't have a health aid person. She came to this country from Puerto Rico, um, I think in 18 or 20, to just 
take care of a family. And she got married a couple of times at that. She owned her own home here in Brooklyn and in another country. I, I loved who my grandmother was because she was a fighter. She worked really, really hard. And she helped protect me from a lot of the pain and dysfunction that I was exposed to at, at, at an early age. She raised me till I was three years old because my mother had me at a very young age and was not capable of raising me. And if I think about the next woman, I, I love who my mother was later on in life because most of my life she was a raging alcoholic. And there's a lot of trauma that I experienced as a result of her mothering. But one thing I can say that has changed my life now and for eternity is that she gave me faith. She didn't give me nothing else. She gave me faith in the God of my own understanding. And had I not had that, I wouldn't have survived a lot of what I survived as early as eight years old. And so... I'm forever thankful that she did that, if she didn't give me anything else. Um, my cousin, Mia, she was the first to graduate on uh, my father's side, and I just remember always seeing her like get her degrees, get married, have incredible children. One is working for Google now, and one is going to graduate uh, from a law firm in uh, Georgetown, and so, or graduate from college, and she's going straight to a law firm. And making crazy money that I can't even say on this podcast. <laughs> but anyway, I'm so proud of her. But it was my cousin Mia who I looked up uh, to most of my life. And success, I believe, is doing exactly what God put me on this earth to do. Every single day of my life and not falling short of that. That, for me, whether it's being of service to someone, calling a friend and reminding them how important they are and how much I love them, cooking, um, doing things that bring joy not only to me, but the people who are in my life. That, for me, is success. There's no dollar amount there. Um, there's purpose there. That's it. Thanks, sissies. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to hold us accountable and we're going to do a check-in. We need, like us three need to, on our group text. Can we please do a five-minute check-in phone call once a month at least? Let's start. Do we start small? We need to. Yeah. Like that means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to, to both. I'm, I'm answering for you. That's what I'm doing. Accountability is one of our core values here. So I'm holding myself accountable because it's it just feeling this right now. Um, I'm really, really grateful. Uh, so... To wrap this up, I want to ask you one more question. What advice would you give young aspiring women, women leaders now, mothers, anyone out there, specifically women, women of color? What does your heart say, head, gut say of what advice you would give to them right now? I think the most important thing for young women is to have mercy on themselves, to understand that you're a work in progress and you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay, and to continue to work on who you are, right? I think that a lot of times we want to be good moms, we want to be good spouses, we want to be good at work, and you kind of lose sight of the fact that you cannot be any of that unless you are the best version of yourself, and you never really reach a point that decides this is the best version of me. You only continue to work towards it. And if you do continue to work towards the best version of yourself, you can be the best version to all those people who you love and all those things who you're committed to. So that's what I would say to a, a woman, a young woman, an older woman, any other woman, um, to say, like, continue to work on you and all the other stuff will fall in line or it will get out of your way, right? Because when you stop giving of so much to other people that don't really need to be in your, your space, they'll fall off. And they'll, anybody who is, anybody who loves you, who cares about you, they're not going to feel any kind of way about you working on you. And if they do, continue to work on you, and trust me, they will remove themselves. That's, that's what I feel, and that's the advice that I would give to anyone. Like another woman. 
I don't know if I can frame it as never stop learning or love learning, whether you're learning about yourself, you're learning about the people that you influence or impact. Like I don't go one day without reading something or learning something, whether it's about myself, whether it's about my industry, whether it's about um, other people, I don't stop learning. Um, And I get smarter and I get better and I get wiser every single day as a result of saying that I can't ever stop learning. And that's the reason why I love to learn. Right there, which that I remember you giving me, giving us the five dysfunctions of a team, and that's one of the things I always give to my team. And so again, another here I go saying it again. It's one of our core values is growth. A con, you know, just you know, getting to that pl- help. Like for us, our gym is helping our members get to that place, that place to where they are, to where they are now, to where they want to be. And whether that be the best, like you said, I don't know if there's ever a best version of yourself because you constantly need to grow. I heard a really good, um, something very quick, a metaphor saying like our hair grows every day, our nails grow every day, you know? So what else is growing in our, how's our, our brain? We have to keep feeding it. How, you know, so um, yeah, that is something where I feel so strongly about and thank you for giving that to me. Uh, these, these two strong, beautiful women are probably the most authentic, educated, intelligent, loving, compassionate. Like I could keep going with all good the beautiful, looking. Ed- good looking, gorgeous. <laughs> She's 50 with the heels on still coming in here. <laughs> uh, I wish we, I, I, we could give you more. And uh, if you remember, if you're listening and went to one of our past events guts these two were um were present and and spoke and everyone the feedback was can we please hear more of melissa and shatara so uh that's why i had to bring them on first because we have to start off this this uh empowerment campaign of women uh with with some high expectations because um you both just just give give all your heart and that's why I'm going to give you the go-giver because it talks all about giving and that's why we're here on this earth to earth to give more so with that being said I please share your thoughts your feedback uh, write us a review and uh, screenshot put it up on your story I am so thankful for Shatara drove up from New York City you guys she drove up from New York City today to to be here and to share her heart and her story and her knowledge with y'all. And Melissa still is, she's on her phone right now and she has meetings and she took time out of her day. So thank you so much. I love you. I love you. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. Love you. Love you both. And until next time, power to the people. <laughs>